So, as is the case sometimes when, as, uh, as my dear friend Amichai said, sometimes prayers that are set, you can rely on them, and prayers that are motivated by a place of, of immediacy and urgency of, of touching what's real, they can pull you off the clock, and I'm always a little bit worried about that because I know that people have places to go at the end of the service, dinner, and so on. And I usually have a lot to say. But tonight I don't. I don't have a lot to say, and I'll tell you why. First of all, I'm crying a lot. And I feel that tears are already enough. And I find myself struggling to find words to articulate what's happening. But more than anything, I feel that words that come from a place of unexpressed or unfinished grief can often miss the mark. So maybe better that I don't have a lot to say tonight. And the second thing is that I, I think it's equally important at the end of the service, I know many people leave at 8 o'clock, but I think it's equally important to, it's as important to hear, let's say, what I'm saying as it is to say good, hello to new people, and we haven't yet had a chance to say hello to new people. So all of that, I took up two minutes to tell you I'm going to take up another five. <laughs> so this past Sunday morning, I boarded a plane at 6 o'clock in the morning, and I went out to Boulder, Colorado to a three-hour memorial, an interfaith gathering at the theater in Boulder, uh, led by my very dear friend and colleague, Rabbi Tears of Firestone, and other luminaries, teachers, musicians, holy, Im, from various traditions. And one of the enduring images for me was something that I think that you said, Tirza, that Reb Zalman shared with you at the end of his life, my teacher Reb Zalman, who passed away on July 3rd. He told you a, a dream, and he said, as Reb Zalman was wont to say, funny things, a funny thing. He said, I was sitting in a hot tub. <laughs> so those who never saw Reb Zalman, he was a, and God will, he was a 89, 90-year-old Hasidic-looking guy out of Fiddler on the Roof. Right? So here he tells Rav Tirza a dream, that in a dream he was sitting in a hot tub with, with people, and they had their arms around each other, but underneath the water where it wasn't visible, their legs were united in one. There, were, there was one leg. He was sitting separately from each of them above the water, but in his dream, beneath the water, he was united with them. And what immediately came to mind when I heard that story was a line from our tradition, a mystical teaching. The dinim, things that are difficult, vicissitudes, pain, suffering, dukkha. Dukkha is not, suffering isn't healed on the level where things are separate. But suffering is healed on the level where they are one. What is called the level of the roots, bashrashim a shoresh, in the root of the thing. And I thought about that immediately when I was thinking about tomorrow morning's reading and how it pertains to where we are this Shabbos. Tomorrow morning's reading from the parsha Re'eh begins, Re'eh, behold, see, 
אנוכי נותן לפניכם היום ברכה וקללה. Behold, Moses says, I give to you a blessing and a curse. Blessings and curses. And then it goes on to tell what the blessings and the curses will be. And then it gives an instruction. It says, When you go across the way, you are supposed to place the blessings onto a mountain called Har Grizim. And then you will place the klalot, the curses, onto a mountain called Har Eval. And it always bothered me because I had always heard. I wondered... Why did Har Grizim get the blessings? And why did Har Eval get the curses? That was my first question. The second question was, is it really true? Did it really come to pass? Meaning, did it really come to pass that when the Israelites didn't keep the blessing, they didn't keep the mitzvot, the blessings were removed and the Har Eval was cursed? So I was thinking about it and somebody sent me a text from a some obscure book. And in the obscure book, the author said that the truth of the matter is, he said, that, that at the current moment, Harival is much beautiful, more beautiful than Hargrizim. They're flipped. And this person went on to say, if I can find it, the person went on to say that this comes to teach you that the blessing and the curse have nothing to do with the mountains, but everything to do with you, the individuals. That didn't satisfy me. And I found a different interpretation from Rav Shimshon Falahersh, who said, the reason why the mountains were chosen was this. Har Grizim was located on the south side next to Shechem. It had stunning landscaping. It was beautifully grown grass, and many types of foods grew on it. It was full and prosperous and with abundance flora. And Harival was located adjacent to that on the northern side of Ephraim's portion. It was empty and barren. Nothing grew on this mountain, and it seemed to be void of plant life. These two mountains, which stood side by side, presented the most striking, concrete visualization of blessing and curse. They are both being nourished by the same soil, the same water, and the same wind. Yet Har-Eval was barren of all shrubbery, while Har-Grizim was full and lush all the way up to the top. When I heard that, first of all, it answered my question. It was obvious. The two mountains represented already, a priori, the blessing and the curse. Simple explanation. But what was shocking to me to hear was that the reason why mountains in general were chosen was because these mountains and the flora and the fauna that represented the blessing or the lack thereof, a curse, are coming from the same roots. The blessings and the curses are coming from the same roots. Behold, I am placing before you a vision that if you look at these two mountains, you will see blessings and curses, but if you look at the root, they're coming from the same place. Underneath the water, it's one. I left Boulder and I traveled to, to Aspen. That's aspen, right? Those are aspen trees. Everything connected. Judgments are only sweetened if you go to the root. If you can see that underneath the blessing and the curses, they began in the same place. And maybe, maybe, maybe mountains also, because mountains give us a vision 
a big mind to see above all of the particulars. This week, someone sent me a beautiful video from a rabbi in, in, in Yerushalayim named Adam Sinai, a dear congregant. Angie, you sent me a beautiful video. And in it, the Kab this Kabbalist from Yerushalayim said, when children hit parents, parents need to know that children are screaming for something other than the hitting. When children are screaming, when children have come to the place in their lives where they are so animated by something that is lacking for them, they are so lacking something, so missing something, that it has moved them to an extreme place. The responsibility of parents or those who have power is to ask, what is deeply happening here? What is underneath all of this? all of this expression of anger and rage, all of this. And to the extent that we keep ourselves on surfaces and asking for solutions on surfaces, we will continue to have surfaces, and surfaces will continue to erupt. As long as we ask questions that keep us busy with the logistics of how can we prevent another Ferguson from happening, instead of looking at the systemic issues that are there, that are underneath the water, where is it united? Where, how close to the epicenter of the problem can we visualize? Together, the place where they come together, not the blessing and then later on the curse. I give you the blessing and the curse, and do your eyes see the roots of things? What's at the root? As long as we busy ourselves with surfaces, which is why we're, we're standing now before the month of Elul. Tomorrow morning we're going to bench Elul, we're going to bless the new moon of Elul, which will take place next week, and we'll begin formally this, this journey into, into the high holidays. It begins... With Dirshu Hashem Karov, that we have to become seekers. All of us have to be seekers. And we have to ask questions, as my Rebbe said. And the last thing that I, at that Sunday meeting, he, uh, the gathering, he gave a beautiful talk in front of many different interfaith leaders, all of them united at the root or at the height, on the top of the mountain or underneath it. And Rav Zalman said that the kinds of questions that we ask have to be the questions that will lead us to the next paradigm shift. The questions that we ask have to be questions that, that seek the roots of things, the roots above, the roots below, but underneath the matter. If in your life you are screaming for something, you're sick, something is wrong, and if you locate the problem only where it hurts, you'll keep having the same problem. Yesterday's answer will become the thing we have to answer to again, right? That's what Rizalman said. The solution to yesterday's question will become what we have to solve tomorrow. Things in the world are screaming and we can busy ourselves with, with noticing its volume without noticing what's underneath it. Do you hear what I'm saying? I took more than five minutes, but I'm trying to say something 
Somebody sent me this week a book by a guy from Israel who has seven basic needs that children ask for in their lives. He call, and he basically says that it's a contract that parents make with their children unconsciously on a spiritual level. And he goes through these seven basic needs. And what I loved about it was that he was saying that there isn't a child in the world who screams for something, right? Who's angry, who's mitparetz, kind of, that isn't on some level asking for one of these seven needs that weren't met at one point, and now it's come to the place where they're screaming. The shoresh is lost because all we have is the branch. And then we stay on the branch, and we sit on the branch, and we, the branch. Now, before anybody walks out of here tonight and says that I'm saying that the entire Israel, because this is how it happens in shuls. So Rabbi Ingber said that the entire Israeli and Palestinian issue can be summed up in one line. It certainly isn't the case. But what is clear to me, and was clear to this Kabbalist in Jerusalem, and I thank my friend Nathaniel Berman for, for, for saying this to me, and what rabbis and others have to say, that if you are a mekubal, if you are claimed to be rooted in the Jewish mystical tradition as my Rebbe was and his Rebbe was, and all the way back grafting onto the tree of, of Kabbalists that I, that I, in chutzpah, hope that I am a part of, that I must make a claim along with the Sfat Emet, with that great Hasidic teacher and all great Hasidic teachers who said that inside of everything in the world there is a nekudah panimit, there is an inner kernel of beauty, of truth, of love, of love, of yearning, and that it might be covered in all kinds of ugly expression, but it is my responsibility to be the nutcracker, the one who uses my eyes to go deep into what's inside of it and protect myself. God forbid I have to protect myself. But what's at the root of these things? What is at the root? We must, must, must make a claim that at the root of everything is a yearning for peace. At the root of everything in this world is a yearning for God. And it becomes distorted and it becomes ugly and mountains of curses grow upon roots of unity and blessing screams across the valley and says, I see that you were once rooted in love let us both be rooted in love. So tshuva, returning, is always returning to the roots of things. Because the roots of things are where the medicine lies. So I want to bless all of you. I want to bless all of you from this person who speaks too much and cries too little, but wishes he could do a little bit more of the latter and less of the former. God should bless all of us with being seekers, with being those who expose the roots of things, who aren't settling for the surfaces. Let us not be sold on what appears to the eye. Re'e anochi, use your intuition. You know how to see.